There you go. Yeah. Tweets will yeah. Episode two oh five? Two oh four. Two oh five. Two oh four. I think is it two oh four? It's one of them. <laughs> two oh five. Episode two oh five. We are absolutely just all over it today, boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> super, super organized. Uh, this is only the top quality podcasts that you uh, you get through your through your ears uh, with us. Uh, Adam, Craig, how are you? How's everything going? Uh, I know you were just talking about the bank imploding being a problem, but uh, other than that, how how's life? That's continues, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's good. Yeah, no, there's there's lots of weird. Like, it's been a weird week and all, hasn't it? I really love match of the day <clears throat> yesterday. It was a great watch. Um, yeah, no, actually, I I'm a, I went and I've I've got a sort of a sad taste in music, so I went and saw John Mayer live last night as well, which was fun. So that was my that's my big nice. big out, outing of the year. Um, <laughs> and now you know get to, in March. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's downhill for the rest of the rest of the year now. Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll see, especially if Silicon Valley Bank continues to take down the entire tech and financial market. But we'll see. Outside of that, at least we had an amazing win yesterday at Leeds. Oh wait. <laughs> yeah uh not great a uh a game of what ifs really wasn't it um craig how about you how was your week yeah good yeah so i keep on trucking you know it's the same old same old isn't it so uh yeah nothing nothing too much to complain about otherwise this will be a thoroughly different podcast yeah yeah it would um all right, so I guess we may as well just start with the game yesterday. Uh, it feels, this is one of those games, I'm sure you'll both agree, it feels like we're about to talk about a loss, doesn't it? It was a loss of two points in some ways, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I've got such mixed feelings about this because I, I personally felt really annoyed and aggrieved about that result, especially coming off the back of that, mullering of West Ham and it's uh, honestly I think this is probably one of the only times where we might have some level of camaraderie with Liverpool fans uh you know after they're able to dismantle Man U and then turn around and get beaten by Bournemouth thankfully our, our sort of sublime to the ridiculous wasn't that that massive but I tell you what like Leeds are not in a good place right now and we, it felt like we were the architects of our own downfall yesterday. Um, and that is not the type of showing that you can put on. And I think you said something similar, Josh, on Twitter or WhatsApp. This is not the type of game that you ha- you can have in you every other game if you want to compete at higher levels and start to attack and go into European competitions. Because... If, if you have these ups and downs, now imagine adding an extra slate of European travel games to your schedule next year and suddenly you start to see the realisation of how Europe can... Is it is it too big for a club? Can it be a curse rather than a blessing? So it's, it's lots of question marks get raised around this performance, I think is the, the, the main takeaway for me. Yeah, I think architects of our own downfall. So <laughs> the, the basically the motto coming into this was I just concerned about I guess the level of mistakes or sort of decision making yesterday as well um I think like you said if, if we're looking up the table rather than down um these these are the these are the games you need to go in and win especially with how bad 
Leeds were to an extent, but we weren't able to take advantage of that and, and also just made some errors along the way as well, which means we're talking about two points dropped, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the talk of looking down, I think that's probably the last time we'll ever talk about it this year. Uh, 39 points, I, I don't see any team in that bottom three hitting 39, however they are. Um, I just don't see them doing it. Uh, I know 40 is usually the magic number. Uh, I know in recent last 10, 15 years, it's been much closer to 38, which we've just surpassed anyway. So, um, yeah, you know, we should be looking up. We've got a lot of time left to look up. Uh, and I suppose that's probably one of the one of the positives out of yesterday is that we do have a lot of time uh, and there's a long way to go. Um, and yes, we may have some games in hand, but a lot of other teams have a lot of games to play in April or May. Uh, and, you know, it only takes a bit of fatigue or a couple of key injuries to other teams and us keeping players fit. And you can start to, you know, get away with the results like yesterday uh, if other teams around you are going to drop points, a la Liverpool, <laughs> Bournemouth, uh, I think their aggregate in Premier League history was something like twenty-eight to one before yesterday um, in score in goals scored and against against Bournemouth. So things can change around, um, but we also don't have points yet for those games in hand, do we? So I think you know it's all one and good being happy about the idea of having them, but you know I feel like we should really be happy, much happier on Wednesday night if we come away with a win. Uh, as opposed to thinking like we've got, they count for anything right now. Yeah, and and that that's oh, it's it's hard to understate that game as well, isn't it? On Wednesday, the one coming up, just well, we've talked about the form that Palace are in. We've obviously there's some now question marks around what we are. If you think about Premier League form in the last few games for us, we drew that game. We won, obviously beat West Ham, lost before that, drew before that, won before that. So it's it's hard to really assess what we are. Some days we look incredible and other days we look fairly riddled with mistakes. But we know what Palace are. They're a bad team. Uh, and it's important to go out and beat a bad team, especially as, as we record this, Newcastle are playing, right? The expectation being is they pick the three points up against Wolverhampton and, and you know, suddenly I think they'll have played what one more game than us, but will be uh, unreachable. It, once we, we've played the same amount. So what we don't want to start to get into is a, a situation here where we we drift away from that top six, if you will. And again, weird to say this, and we start to settle into this weird, like a uh, fodder area of seventh to like 11th. And let's not forget, like Chelsea are starting to show signs of turning things around a little bit. And we've got tough sides in there like Brentford and co., and suddenly your season looks a hell of a lot different. Like this game on Wednesday is big, especially because you don't get to play again until what next month in the Premier League after that Palace game. And I think it's Brentford, isn't it? First uh, of April, Brentford. So talk about two important games the next two in your Premier League. That's that's where you prove whether you're, you're worthy of Europe or not. Yeah, uh, I think like Josh said as well is. You've got a couple of games in hand there, but you, you can't really count them for anything. They're just they're just zero at this point, and you you kind of take it from there. Is that we're going to be up against a bad team? Palace, I think the, the famous start is not having a shot on target in three games, which you know that sounds like a poison chalice more than anything else. Um, but you, we have to, and when I say we're looking down, I don't necessarily mean the relegation zone anymore. I think you know when I'm talking 
when I'm thinking down is that you you get into that 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 fodder area quote unquote where you're sort of in this wilderness or no man's land where you're really not fighting for anything and by looking up and and having those ambitions and I think deserve being the team have come out and reinstated those ambitions and re-emphasized that that's where we want to be uh looking down means I don't I don't want to be 12th or 13th and and just sort of loiter in that area. Um, I feel like this team is capable of of making a challenge and whether that is aiming for 7th or possibly even 6th, I'm fantastic. But if we're going to sit here and talk about that or even have a pipe dream of that, is that yesterday's game needs to go our way and we need to to win that. Um, And I think that's that's the change in mentality, I guess, is that, you know, we're not in those relegation battles anymore. And we, and I think we need to have loftier ambitions in, in games like yesterday and like Wednesday, where we do need to pick up three points to continue that charge. Yeah. Our next three, we're all at home as well. Um, albeit of course, there's an FA cup fixture out of those three, but nonetheless, that's just as important as the league now, right? If you wanted to keep that momentum, a loss to Grimsby at home would be a hell of a morale killer. I feel like, wouldn't it? Um, it would not be great, um, but on the on the balance of of you know, I remember someone saying that I was very pessimistic in one of those iPod reviews. So let's be optimistic. Uh, we are not the only team doing what we did yesterday. Uh, Liverpool yesterday got beat by Bournemouth. Uh, Brentford went to pathetic Everton and got beat yesterday as well. Uh, the teams all around us basically. Uh, Chelsea won three one, but. Leicester are a whole trouble in amongst themselves that they, I don't think they realize they're one of the, like the absolute definition of sleepwalking towards the relegation zone. It feels like uh, they don't quite realize how much trouble they're in. Um, and then Fulham got absolutely dick today uh, and they've looked poor since I watched them play us. Like they've not looked good uh, since that game. And obviously they got that win there, but since then a draw at home to Wolves losing to Brentford in what was a, like a, really important clash and then getting battered by Arsenal. Um, there are a lot of games around, there are a lot of games, you know, teams around us that have thrown away games that they would also probably be sat on podcasts like this one, uh, thinking if we want to be, you know, going for Europe as Brentford and running this money ball operation and doing what we're doing, you know, and Benham and co want to be going where they want to go. We need to be beating teams like Everton. Um, and we're all kind of now sat in the same position because all of us have had a shit week. Uh, so I suppose at least all of us have been quite poor, um, but it really, it really does have to turn around uh, when we play Palace on Wednesday because that's a big one. Uh, Grimsley after that, and then as you say, Brentford after that, uh, and then it coincides with you know straight after that you have three away games: uh, Bournemouth, Tottenham, and then punctuated by Chelsea at Stamford Bridge as our final of those six. Could be massive. Yeah, it's it's uh, this league. Uh, I know it's been talked to death, but there's two good teams in this league this year, <laughs> and, that, and everyone else doesn't know what they are. Uh, and I mean, the fact is that the third place team in the league got smashed seven nil last time we we recorded this podcast uh, during that recording, and then the team that, that did that seven nils we just mentioned when when and lost to was fairly objectively one of the worst teams in the league the next week. Look at Spurs. What on earth is Spurs? Like you saw what they did in Europe the other day. They they basically just sort of turned up and thought, 
What did they do? <laughs> Should we bother? <laughs> so they didn't do anything. Then they turn around and like pull out a decent win yesterday. Uh, Newcastle's form is like horrendous with the caveat that we don't know what they're doing against Wolves right now. And then, then, then you're at us. Like, so yeah, like no one is capable of putting together a string of consistent results in this league this year, unless your, your club is named Arsenal or Manchester city. Um, it's a, it's a weird, weird time. But I think the biggest thing for me is you, you almost have to be the exception to that rule that's been created, right? If you, if you want to go way above and beyond what you're potentially able to do in any normal season um those leicester style seasons that are complete black swan events only happen if you do what is unthinkable while other clubs underperform now what we've got is other clubs underperforming and aren't consistent the liverpools the spurs the chelsea's of, of the world that's why we then need to go and pick up points because then we're capable of doing something that's utterly unbelievable. And we start getting stuck in dropping points at Fulham and Leeds. And you think back at the end of that season, you go, what could have been? Because all these clubs did just dithering performances and we could have been a fourth place team. Instead, you know, our end of it, we get to, oh, we're, we're thrilled. Like we came eighth, best ever, whatever it is. Like, I know that's still monumental, but the, I, don't, I really don't want to get into a what could have been situation. And I'm hopeful Deserby's able to get a bit of more of a stranglehold around this team so they don't sort of capitulate in the same way it felt like we did. Like we're at sixes and sevens just against, against Leeds, weren't we? And let's talk about stranglehold as well, uh, which some, some kind of pra- praise has to be heaped on Avi Garcia because uh, he has a shit record against us. Um, but since he's came in, to Ellen Road, he has not lost at home. Both his home games have been successful. Uh, he won one and drew against us. Uh, and some Leeds fans will probably argue that they probably could have nicked it um, at the end when they really piled on the pressure. I think on the balance of play, we really deserve to have been about three up before they even scored. But the the fact is that they're, they're becoming a much more impressive home side. Um, not easy to play against. They pressed us really well yesterday. They were a problem, um, and we struggled. It was. It felt very much like the Stoke game. I think Craig, you said that in the chat, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it felt that way. And I, I was impressed with how they sort of lined up, and it obviously completely went against what the Ellen Road crowd want, and just waiting for us to to go and and waiting for the second pass, not the first pass. Um, I, I thought it was very well regimented, and they stuck to a game plan that did work um i think we can probably get into that but trying to trying to filter us down the wings and then pressing us in that midfield area definitely worked um if i remember watching just four attackers just standing um you know sort of two-thirds up the pitch and just standing there and waiting for us to move um so it was this weird sort of wild west shootout um but yeah it, to be fair it was a very good game plan i think they did stifle us a little bit and that's where we sort of fell down. Um, you had individual mistakes, you had shaky performances, but you have to put some of that praise onto what Leeds did in their game plan to to stop us because it worked. Yeah, I think old Richie Mills said there was about three good performances in the entire team and the rest were not great. Um, and I think he pretty much smashed it. Um, the starting lineup, basically the same lineup as West Ham, uh, except Lamptey out, Veltman in injury, of course, by necessity. Um, the, the lead side kind of rocked up as a 4-2-3-1 as well. Um, and 
as you say, they were they were not happy, were they? The Leeds fans, pretty much from about twenty minutes in, it felt like they were booing <laughs> if they didn't have the ball or they didn't press hard enough. Um, but it took about half an hour for us to break them down in the end. Uh, and the player that we were all singing his praises uh, just beforehand uh, inevitably then scored um, because he's he was obviously excellent all the way through the game yesterday. Uh, Alexis McAllister uh, gets on the score sheet as a central attacking midfielder. Um, what did we? What? <laughs> Let's talk about the goal first of all. Mitoma aerial presence. Uh, secondly, the superb gross turn again, uh, and then Alexis McAllister, the fox in the box. Um, all of the things you expect to hear uh, when you when you know that we're we're scoring a goal. The the Karu Mitoma aerial supremacy and the McAllister fox in the box finish. Uh, it felt like. We could probably just comfortably take control of this, didn't it? Yeah, go on, Craig. I, I, I knew Alexis was going to score, though, because immediately before he scored in the chat, I was like, God, Alexis is playing badly and he can't hit a barn door. And so, of course, about 30 seconds later, he scored. But yeah, <laughs> Craig, what was your No, it was, it was, I was going to say the same is that uh, it's just it's too many chances. Like he's, he's bound to take one, and it's the one that's probably the least expected in in finding a free header off <laughs> Matoma out jumping someone again. And I know we've, we've talked about this, but I think we can get on to McAllister. There's a bit of a, a Jekyll and Hyde thing there a little bit. Um, but for, for Matoma to continuously also out jump people as well as <laughs> outrun people and dribble past them, um, like it's like it's nothing to him. It's just, it's such a weird element to his game that you wouldn't expect. Um, and the Wolves goal earlier this season, um, the Bournemouth goal right at the end of the home game, and now this as well, is that he's he's doing it on a consistent basis where that back post, you can find him and he will get there, um, which is just impressive in and of itself. It's just an, another, another feather in his cap. Um, but when it comes to McAllister, yeah, I think he, he misses a lot of chances and I think he then picks up this chance and, and scores and that's great. But we're starting to see him like, miss the good chances and then score score the ones where you wouldn't expect him to. Um, but it it really was Sod's Law because we were talking about it in the chat and then he pops up with a free header in, in the box. So, uh, yeah, it was bound to happen. Yeah, I still feel like he's, he's still being used in that slightly more advanced role, isn't he? And um, uh, I, I'm... It's weird to say this because the guy that put the ball in the box initially with the double turn was obviously gross and he was he pushed himself out to the right side and he probably wouldn't have been in that position if he wasn't playing sort of the right side of that pivot. Um, but but just before the goal, like, yeah, McAllister he did some like really nice build up play and just went for a sort of pathetic little outside of the foot shot that was just an incredibly easy save. And I don't know, I just. I, I feel like the reason why it works so well for Argentina is there's an understanding in that team in that everything you do is to get Messi the ball. <laughs> and there's like this level of subserviency where it's like, okay, I'll do whatever I can. But at the end of it, like, I might go for a part. I might try and do something. But fundamentally, I'm looking for where Messi is. Whereas in this team, Mac is very much like, okay, I'm the World Cup winner now. I'll tell you what I'm looking for, me. I, I, and I'm going to do it. And we're seeing how maybe maybe his finishing isn't quite a level of Leo Messi's, which is all well and good. But look, he took the header. It was great. A five foot ten Matoma. Let's be honest, though, Luke Ayling, my word. 
Uh, he was dreadful. I was going to get onto that next. <laughs> he was dreadful. Well. Like he was, uh, he was. How many times was there a ball over the top over, over Luke Ailing, and then he got beaten by Matoma at a jump? Like just devastatingly bad. And I'm annoyed we didn't capitalise more on that. To be honest with you, like I felt like we should have just funneled the ball to the left side constantly. Turns out like our structure of play was fairly. Um, balanced down the middle of the right and the left. It wasn't like we were just feeding the left-hand side to, to capitalise on Ailing being terrible. But yeah, look, decent header. I just, you, you could have been 2-0 up before that, arguably. And then, yeah, you get the ball. You think, okay, now let's take all of the air out of the game. Let's piss off the Ellen Road crowd. We started to do that and then just silly mistake, bam. So let's talk about the, the equaliser because it was about seven minutes after the fact we'd suck the atmosphere out perfectly. David in the chat notes that as well. The style of play that we play generally does suck the atmosphere out of the way stadiums uh, in that first half. It, it, it wasn't a fortress for Ellen road. Uh, it was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a horrible place for Leeds to play for a lot of that game. Uh, Cause they didn't exactly have the team, the fans on their side. Um, but let's talk equaliser something from nothing uh, as as is the huge uh, when we're now being on top away from home with, with a performance like this, where they should be three up and only one. Uh, we all know it's coming. It's football. This is how it works. Uh, Patrick Bamford uh, lashes a shot, um, takes a massive deflection off of Webster leaping into the way Shane Duffy esque um, loops over the top of uh, steel and quite possibly like the most inch perfect shot to be able to clip the bottom of the bar instead of hitting the bar. Uh, and then going into the back of there for the goal. Um, unbelievable. Like He couldn't do that again if he tried. 100 times out of 100, he's not scoring that again. Key question for you, Craig. Does Sanchez save that? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I've seen a few bits on social media and bits saying, you know, how Sanchez could have done better with certain aspects. Such a dirty question, that is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm here, I'm I here to ask the real so. questions, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think we could have really done too much with that or whatever keepers in goal. Is that that's a that's a deflection and hit the underside of the bar and gone in? I think you, it's going to have to be a world class save if that's going to even stay out. Um, I didn't put any any of that on the goalkeeper themselves. I'm more looking at Veltman and the hospital pass that that led to the chance um, where we, we shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. I think you're taking all of this thing out of the game, running the show, having and keeping the ball, um, and you just put yourself in danger when there was really no need to. Um, so I'm... I'm more looking at Veltman and those those choices to to send that ball back, um, as opposed to Webster trying to get in the way. I'm sure we'll get onto Webster, but trying to get in the way, clipping the underside of the bar, it, it's one of those, like you said, where that's likely never going to happen again. So uh, I, I can't really put any onus on the goalkeeper for that. Uh, I think the the other thing to say is Sanchez would have probably just passed it to Bamford about 10 minutes in anyway. So we'd probably conceded <laughs> prior to that, even if he would have tipped that onto the bar. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not blaming Steele. I think this is the frustrating thing about Leeds, right? Is that they, the, all the way throughout this season, if they, they've not been a good team and they, they've been hardworking and energetic, especially under Jesse Marsh, but they've not really had proper end product. And of course, against us, they score two just 
stunning finishes that, that, as you say, they probably wouldn't score in any other game or they score one in 10. Um, and that's really, really, really annoying. The the performances at the start of the game for me, though, and some of these lingered onwards, but I'm notably the couple of the players that were sort of at fault here. You've, you've brought up Veltman. But Kai Seide was having a really bad game at the start of this. He was getting pressed very heavily. He had a lot of people on him. Uh, he's being hurried. He didn't look comfortable. Um, and these are our like stalwart consistent. If, if I think about who, who are our con- always consistently good players, Veltman, Kai Seide were pretty much at the top of that list in some ways. Veltman, obviously, you brought up. He's just a horrendous little pass at the start there. Kai Seide couldn't track back properly to get involved. And Adam Webster... Well, let's we'll get on to this, but I thought Webster's performance, even before the injury that he got, barbaric. Just a very, very, very poor performance. Um, so Dunk was furious at the, that goal. Furious because it wasn't just like one. It's not, the the Veltman pass is excusable in some ways, right? Everyone makes mistakes, but it was like a collective like cluster of messes. And as a captain and and organizing that defense he was just like i cannot believe you clowns have done this i think especially when it's punctuated by it being such a fluke as well yeah the shit yeah the frustration i can't imagine um from what i can gather considering we're recording live uh, it sounds like wolves had a bit of a stonewall penalty turned down and newcastle went straight down the other end and scored um it's those fine lines right there that dictate who does and who doesn't make it into europe at the end of the year um I'm sure that whoever is referee there absolutely definitely isn't getting a large fat wad of money from the Saudis. But um, the the second goal for the Albion was very good, uh, very well worked goal. Um, shame for Solly wasn't able to get, to get his name on the score sheet because Harrison decided to absolutely blast it into his own net. Uh, hero and villain in the space of about eight minutes, wasn't he? Um, not sure what he was thinking there. I am the most right-footed player of all time, uh, but Harrison has just took the crown for the most left-footed uh, because he he had no reason to try and clear that ball, did he, uh, with his left foot? And he chose to anyway. Um, but I think it also echoes, because if he wasn't there, Solly scores that, right? Like, he can't miss it at that point, even if he just falls onto it and it brought, like, bundles in off of his belly. Like, it's going in one way or another. Um, and it really emphasizes the point that Craig made earlier of the back post being a really dangerous area for us on both sides at this point. Yeah, it is. I, I think Solly March is probably one of the picks that actually came out of the game okay yesterday. Um, it's just a very consistent and like that that back post. And I think there was a few bits online in terms of how many goals this season in the Premier League have come from cutbacks and, and being able to, to find someone maybe backwards from the goal or at least at that sort of post and you'll see enough cutbacks from Matoma and March where those are the type of goals that we're looking to score um, as opposed to aerially I know we've got Ferguson but it seems to be very much a a mantra or or a way of working that we're going to cut back and try and find a low ball in to try and score Um, and that that second goal with I believe it's Matoma. My, my mind's blurry, but obviously Ferguson got a toe on it. Uh, it came off, well, it came off the keeper and then sort of just bundled across the line. Um, but it's just important. You've got to have those 
those guys, those bodies in the box. And March is very good at that. And I think Matoma is also very good at that. You can see that. And it's it's clearly a game plan for us that we we have those people coming in late to the to the other side of the box. Um, it just gives us an extra chance. And it, it worked both times yesterday. So, um, yeah. As, as for Harris and I, yeah, no clue. But I think he, he didn't really, he didn't really have a choice. To be honest, it, like you said, um, it doesn't matter what foot he uses. You're an inch away from the goal line, and someone's behind you. Uh, you, you try and do anything, but he literally chose the worst choice, um, and it was very funny. Uh, credit where it's due as well. Alexis in that in that role um, shrugged off two to three challenges to get the, the pass out to Matoma on the left hand side, who fed the ball in. Um, and that that is where he's good, right? When he when he does get a little bit of time on the ball and he can move forward, he is great at, at holding on and picking out a good pass. Just the shooting at the end of it is the questionable. But when you're putting on a plate for Matoma to then feed in, great. And your point about cross is absolutely right. right? I mean, I think yesterday we put in 16 crosses to Leeds is four. Um, clearly, like a focus of what we're trying to do, get the ball in there. And I don't know if you've noticed as well, like the, the sheer volume of bodies that we tend to throw into the box nowadays compared to the Potter days. It's not even close. I, I, how often do you remember just it was Mopay just swanning around a little bit and we'd always be like, why did we even cross it? What are we doing? And now you cross it like there's bodies, there's there's people in there. And this is what happens, right? Someone, it might, it might be your player, it might be the opposition player, could put the ball in the net. Um, it was a, I'll tell you what was, Incredibly weird about this, talking about left foot and right foot. So he, he, he f- decent finish from Harrison, just smashing it left foot into the goal. But then when he scores, not that long afterwards, it's like an incredible right foot shot. Uh, what is he doing? Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Baffling, isn't it? Yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't. It was such an odd decision to make. Um, yeah, very, very odd. Um, I'd like to go back and have a look at what other goals have been, how like how frequent the goals are back post tappings at this point because I was just thinking back to West Ham and you got penalty moment of magic from Welbeck and then two goals in the back post with mm-hmm. Felben and Matoma um, and I'd like to go back for at the time and have a look now just out of interest um, but I know Mar- that you got March at Palace as well so yeah. there's 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 a number I think there's yeah it's probably worth looking um, but I mean we are. Forgot what I was going to say. It's gone. It's gone away. It's gone away. Uh, so we'll that's move my, on to the next bit. My fault, though. It is. It absolutely is. Absolutely Sorry. Um, a mental breakdown, like Harrison. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll remember it when it like in about two hours when I've got no one still to. Um, Danny Welbeck comes on sixty-eight minutes in for Evan Ferguson. Uh, we are leading at this point two-one, uh, and Danny Welbeck proceeds to not do his uh, his best with two golden opportunities uh, prior to the equaliser. Um, Danny Welbeck, lovely bloke, by all means. Um, we've had this conversation for a long time as to whether he's good enough. And I think pre-World Cup, we were all finally on board together that he absolutely was not up to it. Uh, it seems that the wider Albion community is catching on in March 2023. Um, it was not great, was it, yesterday? Uh, I'm not going to lay it solely on his shoulders because there were poor performances all over the pitch, but you have to look at those chances and think that's a massive, massive miss. Uh, Okay. I will say one thing though. He did a hell of a job to get through to even get the shot for one of those chances. He basically like 
dummied away from two players to, to get through to that position and then, you know, wasn't good. Well, how many times have we need to say about Danny Welbeck? He's, he, cre- he scores goals where you're like, you shouldn't probably score that. And when he's got an easy opportunity, it's like, how are you going to screw this up, Danny? Um, I, again, I imagine he's a fairly um, incredible resource for a young striker like Evan Ferguson. Uh, not Evan Ferguson's best game in the world yesterday, was it? Uh, he was a, I don't remember a ton of opportunities that the guy got, like shades of history, really, where it felt like we were starving the number nine of service. But again, I think it goes back to that style of play that we've just been talking about. It's all about how do we get it to to Solly? How do we get it to Matoma? And then feed the ball in on the ground somewhere. And meanwhile, you've got this six foot two brick shithouse striker up front in Evan Ferguson. It's like, were we going to try and get it on his head? No, aim for five, ten Matoma at the back post. We'll be fine. Um, That's actually, I'm, I'm going to cut you off because I'm going to get what I wanted to say. The idea that we haven't elevated or evolved our play has been something you continue to hear on social media from a lot of Albion fans, more Albion fans than I would expect. Um, feels like they either just don't watch them <laughs> or, or are just in denial or major, still majorly upset with the pot of loss. But the, the example you gave there, uh, about the amount of bodies in the box is where I was going to talk about. If you go back to our Deserve episode, one of the big things we talked about was how obnoxiously he floods the box with his Sassuolo and his Shakhtar side to the point that he can have up to eight players in the box in open play. And we're starting to see that to that extent already. And as you said, there were thousands of occasions over the last three years, like quite probably legitimately thousands of occasions where we made an attacking movement and there was one player in the box. And towards the end of Potter's tenure, there wasn't even one because Mope was playing as a glorified camp, right? Like at times. So if you want to see those like real tangible, like changes that you're seeing Deserby make, because a lot of people are still like not, wanting to see them or just not able to see them because they're just they're not looking at the game in that way or whatever like look at it next time you see that or go back and watch those highlights look how many people are in the box and go back a year ago even when we were playing phenomenally under Potter and you will not see that same volume of sheer bodies in the box and it's it and it is instrumental in making a difference in a, in a lot of those goals we're scoring isn't it Especially with the evolution of the wingers as well. And it goes hand in hand with what the Zerbi sort of pushed through is that your your wingers are so much more important. And it it goes hand in hand with what we're saying. In order to have the amount of players in that box, you need to have two very good wingers that are going to put in decent crosses and decent balls and get to the byline. Um so so those that that's the Zerbi in a nutshell is flood the box, have as many people in there as you can physically. Um, but also trust the wingers to get to the byline and, and get that ball in. And we're seeing quite a, a flood of low crosses and, and sort of whipped crosses in um, from Estepinion and Matoma, mainly on the right, uh, on the left, sorry. March on the right tends to cross them in with an inswinger. And that is just part of what Deserbi does. And I think you're right that you didn't see that under Potter. Um, very rarely would you. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. There's there's such a stark difference in the way that we play. Um, and it is an evolution of how we play. Uh, and it's obviously reaping the rewards. Um, we're getting a lot of plaudits from the, the outer world of, of football punditry, etc. And all of that. 
lovely stuff. So something is happening and it is very different. Uh, like you said, if you went back 12 months, you'd be able to see such a stark contrast in the way that we play now compared to then. Yeah, and look, there's a there's a reason that of, of all the players, I suppose, under Deserbi's tutelage, especially his time at Sassuolo, the one that stands out is 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 Berardi, uh, the guy that basically plays as their sort of right winger, the, the Solly March role, if you want to call it that, I suppose, and and he's the one that's the talisman in terms of assists and also goals. And by the way, that the, the teams that he managed at Sassuolo, there's some incredible players that have come from that that now feature in some of the big sides. Locatelli's one of them. But Berardi is, was that consistent. Um, and it's a byproduct of what he asked the players to do. And it's, it's great to see it. But again, it's also why you're seeing with, with Potter, where we some of these players weren't playing to that level of strength. Again, we talked about Solly March a lot, right? But an absolutely different prospect under Deserbi. Almost, a, I'd written him off under Potter completely. Not the same player plays in an entirely different way nowadays. But also, I think you'll start to see at Chelsea, not that anyone really cares about this at this point, but this is why the importance of signing someone like Enzo Fernandez for them, because Potter is going to bring the best out of that, that those central groupings where all the play flows through, which is why Basuma was so incredibly important for us and Caicedo started to come through, is that that's the priority positions for Potter. With Deserbi, the priority is how quickly can we get the ball out to the flanks and get crosses into the box? And the right wing and left wing is so incredibly important for us. Um, but the, the, I guess we didn't properly get onto that Harrison goal. I, I could then pose that same heinous question again of does Bobby Sanchez save that? It was a cracking strike and there were two balls on the pitch. Let's not forget about that. Um, but we were asleep and I think it was just Solly was sort of marking fairly lazily and the rest of the team just didn't bother doing anything and then he curls a right footer in does Steele do enough there or is it just unfortunate? I'm I'm actually more inclined to say you say it's the second than the first. Um, with a deflection in that way, uh, with the first goal, there's always just that total uncertainty, right? Like you can't ever really be sure whether another goalkeeper's going to save that because it's just a fluke thing that you don't ever say. Like, it's just a just a fluke. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be inclined to say that. When you look back at that goal, the extra seven inches of height and length, I think actually do come into play a little bit there. Um, And I think in the exact same situation, total copy-paste, I think Sanchez probably does get a hand to it, yeah. My worry is that he then palms it out straight to the middle of the goal for a tapping anyway. (laughs) But (laughs) with our current form, um, that is something that, I've been very uh, encouraged by when Steele makes his saves. He has a really good, strong hand of getting them out of the danger zone when he does make those saves. Um, he's been lucky enough not to have to make a bunch of them, but when he does, whether it's the cup games or in his current run, like he is very good at getting the ball out of the danger zone with his saves. Sanchez has not got that yet. I'm not sure why that is, but he's he's had that problem from the outset and he's never been great at it. Matty Ryan was exactly the same. Uh, superb shot stopper. He just ended up having to save three times as many shots as he should because he kept giving them a back. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, I, you know, Mikey in the chat says that someone of Danny Welbeck's experience, because we're going to go back just a little bit, uh, really should be putting those away, the chance he had, um, or at least hitting on target, just like, just anything. 
Um, I wonder what he thinks when 18 year old Ferguson has scored one more goal than him, despite only playing in the second half of the season. Um, it's worse than it's actually worse than that. Christ, that bad for thinking. Wow. That, yeah. that is, we go live to Danny Welbeck's thoughts on the matter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, yeah, so I looked into it just real quick in the background. Uh, Danny Welbeck has averaged a goal, one goal every six and a half games uh, based on solely on minutes played. So I'm not counting all the ones where he's obviously not played any time. So he's averaging a goal once every six and a half games and Evan is managing a goal once every one and a half um, obviously a smaller sample size for Evan, but it's not great, is it, for <laughs> for a seasoned professional in Danny Welbeck. Uh, but going back to that the Steele-Sanchez situation, I actually do think he has a good chance to save in that second one. Um, but my, my faith on him pushing it out to a good spot is also not there, so it feels kind of irrelevant. I, I tell you what, though, that this is the problem or the, the, the issue where when you make a keeper switch, this is the conversation now that happens every time goals are conceded for the rest of the season, because we're now all questioning, Oh, well, hold on. Would he have done this? Would he have saved this? Would this have happened? And this is why when we had the conversation last time around, it's like, okay, well, we've got lots of options. We've got young keepers potential. And I'm very much of the mindset, like we have to, at some point fully commit midterm, long-term to a number one keeper and not, chop and change based on preference and, and short-term thinking because you just have to have a consistent in that team that you're not going to start to raise these questions about. And to, I know it's, maybe it's a poor example, poor comparison, but it's like when you've got a quarterback and you've got those teams where they're like, oh, well, we, we might drop him if he's bad. Well, no, just like, how about you just, this is the guy that starts until he's diabolically bad this is the person that we're going into games with and that's that's what I want to see come out of this goalkeeper situation sooner rather than later Adam talking from a vast amount of experience given his NFL career <laughs> yeah I, uh, I I dabbled I dabbled yeah yeah I'm pretty sure I could throw a ball about five years I think, yeah I think you've probably played a few snaps for the Browns haven't you this week? you know fun fact everybody has I've broken my finger twice trying to catch an American football <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is that I've really not caught American football very often uh, so the, the fact it's like two out of like 40 uh, is quite bad. Yeah. So please take that, take that advice on board from someone with a lot of experience of breaking a finger. Great. That's uh, that is not, that is not a claim to fame I expected you to make today. Um, it's committed though, isn't it? Uh, stupid. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Just so there's a fine, there's a very fine line. <laughs> yeah. Continuing to, uh, just make the same mistakes over and over again is, is a choice. Um, yeah, I'm under Graham Potter's tutelage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, equalised, uh, and from then on, um, it was just a bit crap, wasn't it? End-to-end stuff. Leeds really piled on the pressure for the next kind of seven to eight minutes, and we finished really on 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 top, and it looked like we may be able to nick something towards the end. Uh, Craig, question for you. Uh, what did you think of deserving substitutions yesterday? Another good question. Um, you've got one sub and then a second force one. Again, just sort of throwing me to the walls with that one as well. That's nice. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think with 
we we spoke about Ferguson and it wasn't his best game and it wasn't his fault either. Um, I, I think he was just starved and I think he was sort of man-marked out of the whole game, to be honest. And our, our focal point and their game plan was to force us out wide, which left Ferguson a little bit depleted, to be honest. Um, so you have one change uh, where you try and mix it up and get Danny Welbeck in. It worked. You got him chances. He just didn't put them away. Um, so for that, and for me, that's a, that's a, that's a valid substitution for me because it worked and it gave us something a little bit different. We got chances out of it. It's just a shame he didn't put them away. From there, I don't know why we didn't make more attacking changes that we've seen previously. Um, you, you make a force change with Van Hecker coming on for Webster. Um, I hope that injury is not too bad, but we can, we can speak about uh, Webster <laughs> in of itself. I, I just think we could have seen Sarmiento or someone else come on at the end of the game to try something. Um, and if we were so intent on winning that game, one more attacking sub would have been nice. Um, but again, I'm <laughs> nowhere near the manager anyway, so what do I know? But I think from my personal, I guess, aspiration would be that we try and win that game and put on a tricky winger like Enciso or Sarmiento, just try and mix it up. But two subs out of the five when you're trying to win a game at the end. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, I would say questionable, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to go and slate it. Adam, this is the second time in recent succession. We've seen this exact strategy performed as well, isn't it? Palace away, away from home, equal, like tied up. You would ideally want us to go for a win. Uh, Evan Ferguson comes on for Dennis Undav, which was absolutely a, a correct decision. Uh, and then Tarek Lamptey came on with about 15 minutes to go. Uh, and all of the flair players sat on the bench and did not come on. Uh, we talked about it then as well. Um, this is becoming a pattern. Obviously, this m- must be a strategic decision, right? Deservey isn't like just doing this by accident. Is this an away mentality of a point away and win at home mentality? is what he's aiming for as a bare minimum. It's tough, though, isn't it? Because then he was also beating the shit out of bottles at the same time, so I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm glad this question was asked because I wanted to bring it up as well. Uh, And I think this is a case of what he'd seen from the game up until that point and combined with the maturity of the subs bench that he has at his disposal. Bringing on Danny Welbeck for Evan Ferguson is a situation where you're bringing in a guy who knows how to to insert himself into a game and possibly you know, miss a very easy chance, but he can insert himself into a game and you don't break down your structure. What we've seen when we bring on the crew, the youngsters in some of these games, is it's fun, but you lose a lot of the foundation and, and the structure of the team uh, because... They're young, they're flair players. They're not used to necessarily playing in this same system for a long period of time. You get the chaos. There's lots of upside there, but there's also more downside because you're more liable to to, to the counter too. Um, Leeds counted a lot yesterday. Um, I think they did about eight separate individual counters from a a stat standpoint. Um, I think he's seen us lose the lead twice in that game. Coming to the end of it, if he'd have pushed on all these young players, I think he could have seen us realistically lose that 3-2. And I also don't mind it too much because towards the end of the game, I felt like we could have snatched it. We had a few decent chances at the end there, even with the players that we had on the pitch, um, whereby we could have got that that last second goal. 
So yeah, I think it, I think it's the fact that he doesn't necessarily feel confident enough in the maturity of the players he has on the bench to come into a game that is on a knife edge with 10 minutes to go and remain consistent. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I probably am. No, that's fair. No, I, I mean I don't I I don't disagree with any of that. That's probably the sensible answer and probably where my line of thinking was was as well. He just doesn't want to put that on those players uh, away from home. Um and he has to have faith in the players he's got out there to be able to get the result. And and arguably speaking, he had plenty of players out there that should have been capable of getting the result yesterday. They just didn't. Yeah. Um so let's let's talk players. Uh, we can touch on Adam Webster if you want. Uh, we talked about players that have just exploded under Deserby. Mitoma was nothing but bench fodder for Potter. He's now one of the best wingers in the league. Uh, Solly March played in about just every position possible on the pitch and really shone at none of them. It was a classic jackable. Jackable trades master of none. Uh, he's suddenly become a very, very influential player on that right wing. Uh, Alexis McAllister has since won a World Cup, uh, so he's now playing wherever he deigns himself <laughs> fit to play. Uh, but on the other end of things, you've seen a couple of players fall from grace, Sanchez being obviously a big one. Uh, and Adam Webster, I would argue, is also another one. Uh, injury ravaged as it is, uh, which has really been his entire career. Uh, he's, he's definitely had a lot more time out than most of us in our halves. Um, not a good performance yesterday, was it? He's, he's great when... With three 0 up against West Ham, but when we are in a tough game, uh, he is not the type of centre half that is flourishing under the Derby ball, is he? I, uh, I mean, yeah, I've I've not got good things to say about Adam Webster at the moment. <laughs> um, when you're saying like we've lots of, we've had lots of players explode onto the scene, he's just exploded, unfortunately, um, and and seems to have forgotten how to play football. Uh, it felt like every time he touched the ball. I was panicked and I don't like that feeling, especially in the way in which we have to play under Deserby. You need confident, calm, under pressure, get the ball out to the right player very quickly. And he just seemed not at the races there. I just don't know what it is because we've heard a sort of a string of, is it excuses? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it was like, yeah, he's been injured. And then, oh no, he was sick. And he's like, he had a stomach virus in a game a few weeks back. And then, okay, well, he didn't need to do a lot. This is a guy who's 28 years old. He's played against Lewis Dunk for a number of years at this point. It's not like he's necessarily being asked to do a drastically different thing in some ways to, to what he's he's had to do in the past. It's a slightly different build-up play. Maybe he sits a little bit more on the ball now, has to look for a pass a little bit quicker than he otherwise would have done in the past. But it's not happening. And I tell you what, I was... I don't, you never like to see anyone get injured. Of course you do not. I was relieved when Van Hecker came on. Really, really. I was like, and, and that's saying something, right? Because Van Hecker hasn't looked amazing when he's played either. I was like, oh God, thank, thankfully, that hopefully can shore things up. And now I'm just waiting personally for I, I, give me Levi Colwell. Let's get the rental back in there because I, I'm not I'm not confident in in starting out of Webster until he's proven he's got over whatever this is, uh, and maybe he needs his confidence back. I don't know. I just hope it doesn't go the way of a Shane Duffy where it's like you've has he just reached his his point where it's like he's going to be slowly drifted out of a club because we had lots of rumours, didn't we, in the summer. Deserby wanted to bring in an ex-Shakhtar defender um, to come in and play a lot. We know Dunk's going nowhere. And Dunk was 
Dunk's been impeccable for, for quite a while recently. I thought he was arguably the best player on the pitch for us yesterday as well. Dunk's not going anywhere in the near term. So you've already tried to bring in Levi Colwell and you wanted to sign him. You wanted to have an option to buy on him. You're giving game time to Van Hecker. You're being rumoured to get a Shakhtar defender. This, I don't, I don't think he's got the confidence of the manager and I, I understand why. Yeah, there's not much more to add there. I think one of, one of the main things that you saw from Adam Webster under Potter was the amount of progression yards that he got and sort of bursting out of that central defensive role. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Um, that's that's not something that we're looking at our centre-backs to do and really drive through the middle of the park. Um, so one of the key areas where we all love Adam Webster for what he can bring to the team, and it's that drive forward. Um, we're not asking him to do that anymore, and you're taking quite a key element of what he's so very good at. Um, so combine that with the, the confidence factor that you, you've already said, is that you're, you're taking an element of his game where he is superb at, telling him not to do it, um, and also just maybe not having the confidence in himself or, or of the manager, uh, and you're, you're giving these sort of shaky performances. Um, it is a shame because we know what he's capable of and we know he's a very good centre-back. Um, but I think everything surrounding this and playing um, someone on loan, a 19-year-old loan from Chelsea instead of you, and then being rumoured with centre-backs in, in the January window and the Zobi getting annoyed that <laughs> we didn't get someone in. Um, those all add up to something. Um, and it, it is, I hope it does resolve itself, but who knows? There is this, it's shades of, by the way, another formerly very, very well-respected, solid English central defender that's that's fallen out of favour that also loved to go on jaunty runs up the pitch, who sometimes now plays at Old Trafford, but is more often benched. Um, yeah, I mean, what's, what's ironic in, in that, though, is that Dunk had an incredibly funny little run forward yesterday where he sort of went tracked back a long way, made a tackle and then just turned around and moted up the pitch. But you're right. These, that's not the norm. The, the central defenders need to, they need to create that space. They need to bring in the attackers and then we create those quick passing like outlets. And you're right. We, we, we've taken away like arguably like Webster's most intriguing part of his game. And it's a bit of a shame, but we also, what? End of what, two years ago, we handed him a five-year contract. Um, so he's he's contracted until 2026, I think. So up until he's about 31. But hopefully this is a short-term thing, right, Josh? Like, Because uh, there was talk about England not that long ago with Adam Webster. Yeah. I mean, he's, said this, he's been very vocal, hasn't he, since he dropped Sanchez, that there's, uh, this is not the end of Robert Sanchez's Brighton career. Far from it. He's convinced that it's not the end of his time with the RB, and I'm sure he feels the same way internally about Webster. I'm sure he hopes to make him what he wants to be, right? Um, but I think Colwell, you know, he was back on the bench yesterday. Uh, you've got to hope he starts against Palace at this point. Um, it's not going to be Webster, right, one way or another, uh, for better or worse. Um, it's not going to be him because he's, there's no way he's going to be fit. It looks like he's done his hammy for sure. Looked like hamstring, didn't it? think everybody saw that it looked poor. I mean, that's a multi-week absence even on a light grade issue. Um, so you've got to imagine he's gone until possibly even the beginning of our really tough running when it comes to that April run um, where depth is going to be massively important. Uh, so, I mean, whether it's Van Hecker or Colwell 
against Palace. I would personally prefer Colwell as well. Um, but you know, at this stage, it may it may become a case where Deserving turns around and says, "I don't want the guy from Ukraine anymore. I want you to go out and pay whatever you need to get to keep Levi." Well, I don't think you can. Uh, it's clearly Chelsea don't aren't motivated by money. No, <laughs> so and and if anything, right, they they've set out their stall recently to to show that they're investing in uh, younger talent. Like everyone they've been signing has been these younger players for a lot of money. To me, it's Colwell's like. If he wasn't already a Chelsea player, I'd almost be like, well, they're going to sign him. Uh, and that's the most frustrating thing, isn't it? If it was the old Abramovich days, I think you'd be like, oh, we'll, we'll try and sign Colwell for 25 million from him because he's just going to want to go and sign like, I don't know, Marquinhos or something. Uh, but now, now that under the Bowley era, it feels like he's going to stick around. So we might have to go go back fishing in the, the waters of Shakhtar. I don't think Zerbi will be too upset by that prospect, do you? No, no. All right, let's talk Palace. Um, oh, well, let's talk man of the match. Who have we got? Who who do you have as your man of the match yesterday? I I'm going to say March. Just I, there's not too many people to choose from. Um, I I think there's Solly March is always dangerous. I think he's just consistent in what he's doing at the moment and the level that he's playing at is just very good. Um, he puts himself about, forces a goal, arguably is his goal. Um, there's a, f- a few crosses in from that right-hand side. He was always available to, to sort of take a, a cross-field ball. Um, he's just really good at the moment. I think it's just underappreciated maybe to an extent. I know he's getting a lot of plaudits nowadays, but like you said, that sort of Berardi role that he's playing, he's a completely different player to what we saw 12 months ago, 24 months ago. Um, and I think he's done really well yesterday in giving us an outlet and trying to force things to make things happen. So uh, I'm going to go with March. I think there's, there's not too many, not too many to choose from, but it, it's solely for me. Adam, you, uh, yeah, I'm I think, in there first. Uh, yeah, that's, that's annoying. <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, I think you could, you could, you could say Matoma uh, for. I mean, he was such a great outlet, that, and a part of the reason why Ailing looked bad is because Matoma is so good. Um, but I, I will give it to Lewis Dunk. Uh, I think there's. We're talking about defenders that haven't been able to adapt themselves properly to Deserby's system. Here's a guy that really has. I mean, this is another renaissance of the number of renaissances Lewis Dunk has seemingly had in his career. Yesterday, his pass accuracy was 93% on 125 passes. It's easy then to say, well, was he just passing to his left and his right? No, he, again, the long ball uh, leader on the team, 11 long balls of which nine were accurate. Um, uh, he's just... He's the guy, and I'm glad that he was annoyed at that first goal because he should be. He embodies this team, and uh, after a fairly sort of weird up and down performance that he had against Stoke the other day, whereby again his passing was good, but his defensive capabilities looked weird. He was he was back at it again. I thought he was great. Well, we said that there weren't many good performances to talk about. I'm going to give it to a third person as well. Uh, Pascal Groves for me, I think, really stood out as well. Uh, he's been pushed back a little bit into that position that McAllister used to be playing, where I would actually prefer it to be playing, frankly. Um, but I thought he played really well again yesterday. He was, you know, he assisted the assister um, again. Uh, I think he's just been excellent. Like I just, he doesn't really, when you see players and you think, 
they put this, they weren't great. Webster stood out yesterday. Veltman's pass was not great, right? There was just things done. Alexis McAllister missed some, like missed a couple of great chances. Welbeck the same. You never hear Pascal Gross's name really in any of those situations, very rarely. Um, and I feel like the last couple of times we've ever spoke about Pascal Gross in that tone is usually when he's been shoved at right back, back under Graham Potter when he was playing full on, like <laughs> conservative fullback. Uh, and was just being tore apart uh, by the by whoever winger was got the luxury of playing against a you know snail German. Um, so for me though, I thought it was really good. <laughs> what what a descriptor! I, you, uh, here's, a, here's a really bad game to play. Um, and by the way, of course, like everywhere seems to have slightly different stats for these things. Some places say that we we put sixteen crosses in. Some places say we put twenty three in. Let's use the bigger number. Who who do you think put the most crosses in yesterday? Based on everything that we've just been saying. It's a bad quiz if no one answers, by the way. It's really like, it doesn't help the flow of it. <laughs> I'll just say Gross. <laughs> yeah. Gross was the cross leader <laughs> playing in this the pivot role, sort of central, central midfield pivot role. He put in 10 crosses. Solly was Jeez. next with nine. And then after that, it falls away completely. Purvis and Matoma put in two each. So Pascal Gross is the, the, the German snail, to use your term, um, is, is the one snail. that marauds forward from a central midfield position to put in 10 crosses, of which one of them was on Matoma's head that then boinged over to uh, Alexis for his fabled header goal. It's like fairly impressive. So I don't disagree with you on that one. All right. Let's talk, let's talk match of the day, just for a minute. Let's talk about this. <laughs> oh, God. I'm out. See ya. Thanks, guys. <laughs> let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, obviously, the, the, the farce that is going on with Lineker at the moment probably doesn't need to be discussed too much. The hypocrisy and stupidity has been well aired about the way the BBC are handling this. Um, obviously, ridiculous. They're obviously in the wrong. Um what what were they thinking deciding to air that 20 minutes of footage last night? Like that part is the part that baffles me more than anything. Like I can understand the rest of it. Like they're dying on the hill of being these people that are just going to kowtow to the government. I get it. I get all that stuff. We all know they're pricks. But why did they decide to do it? They didn't even put an intro in there. I don't know if you saw it. It was just no intro, nothing. It was like, it was almost like, they were con- contractually obligated to put it on, but like they also weren't because it's their own show. They don't have to put it on. Like what? What are they thinking? Why are they? What are they doing? Uh, are those are those highlights so expensive that they just feel it's compulsory to show them? But yeah, I mean, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I haven't watched it of just inevitably um but i i heard it was a shambles and <laughs> I, yeah the whole thing is weird I, I feel like they were just they had to show it because of the rights or, or something like that or they felt it was too expensive not to um part of it is like oh woe is me look how look how sh- disheveled match of the day is um it, such a weird scenario just don't show it um but the whole the whole thing is hilarious. The the way that it's all panned out, um, such a clear backfire on them, and it, it's utterly deserved. Uh it's weird because we're we're Craig and I are distance from this, right? Because we we don't get to watch Match of the Day anyway, unless you know there's VPNs going on and BBC are pretty good with that. I wouldn't know, but um, I said good in the sense that they block it. 
Um, but I think it's weird because match of the day is like a, it's an institution in some ways, right? It's for, especially with the, sorry, this, I don't want to go on a rant, but this starts to get into the, the whole, the, the issue that you have with the whole TV rights situation in the UK, which is balmy. Like what, why on earth are you not allowed to watch a game that's being played 10 minutes down the street on your TV? You can't get their own rights for own football in your own country. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, but it, that, that, that then makes match of the day, this sort of thing that it has to be sacred and you start messing with that is ridiculous, especially when it's someone that you pay to present a show, not to um, censor their own beliefs on a third party social media channel. Uh, I'm just glad that there was a show of solidarity around it. And then they had to essentially embarrass themselves. The only problem is, is that the viewing figures were higher than normal for it because of all the silliness surrounding it. But generally like, regarded as being crap right it was just straight to straight to shots and replays of the, of the football it wasn't a show uh it was glorified youtube so hopefully they figure it out but like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of politicians coming out saying that it's proof that it was the best thing bbc could have done is taking them off the air because of the enhanced viewership i can't decide if they actually are self-aware and they know, like they know why, right? Like same reason people slow down to see a car accident. Like we, we know why everybody tuned in. Like I can't, I'm still stuck between like, are they that out of touch? It's a bit like that Simpsons meme, you know, with principal <laughs> yeah, Skinner. Yeah, like, yeah. Is it the children that are wrong or am I out of touch? I feel like, are they that out of touch or are yes. they like doing a bit? Because like, I just can't decide it would take some real level of stupidity, but like they absolutely are that stupid. Like we've seen it quite clearly over the last 11 years or so, they are absolutely that stupid. So it was quite phenomenal uh, for seeing people celebrate the 2.5 million figures uh, when clearly the amount of people tuning in is just to see what kind of mess is going to be produced. And it was a mess, undoubtedly, was it? Just shocking stuff. I haven't even watched it. I just saw a YouTube of it because I wanted to just take a look at how bad it was. Um, but it was, it was not. Well, I, I don't, can you help me understand? Like, I still don't really understand the uproar. Like, I know I saw this, some of the things that he said, right. He had an opinion and, and he basically like, you know, you could, you, one could argue that he, he was critical of the government. Right. And that's why we've got this wonderful thing of free speech. You, you can be critical of the government. That's just, it's great. Um, why, wh- why was that then? the next step taken that he would step away from. How does that impair his ability to talk about a game of which he played at a world-class level at for a number of years and which he's, he could do the match of the day show in his sleep. I don't, I, that's the bit, that's the disconnect I have. I think the idea is that he's representing is like, he's supposed to be representing BBC who are supposed to be impartial, which when it comes to British news, they've never been impartial. But he's not his, presenting like, f- f- fucking questions. Well, right, exactly. And I think that's where the problems come from everybody else, right? Like everyone else is asking the same question as you. And the, and the answer comes down to the fact that he was critical of the government because there's a, a plethora of receipts being brought up online of other people, uh, be it Sugar and all these other people coming out. And oh, God, the stuff that Sugar said. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> and the BBC, and, and they've never done a thing about that. And and the, the answer is that it's because he's never been critical of the government in charge, right? He's... A conservative we've had a conservative government for however many years now that's that's why that's pretty obviously why he's 
not getting told off and likewise for all the other ones that they're bringing up receipts on. Um, yeah, 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 Mikey's yeah. saying the BBC have a policy that all staff must be impartial. The BBC don't want to criticise the government because it's them that fund them. Well, it's not. It's us that fund yeah, them, it's actually. people, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, if, you know, unless I'm mistaken, Gary is also a British citizen, is he not? So can he not? It's all very bizarre. Um, but I, I actually hope they don't figure it out. I hope they implode faster and harder than ever before. I hope it just continues. Uh, I hope Gary doesn't step step down from his morals. Uh, I hope they all do the same thing, right, Ian Shearer and everyone else. Uh, and I hope they have no football content for weeks and months, and then they can see how good those viewing figures are. Well, uh, you know, it gets tricky, though, doesn't it? Not Again, I know we're, we're flogging a, a horse that's been dead for weeks here, but the it starts to get into a situation where, like, well, careful what you wish for in the sense that, like, when – does this fall deeper into privatization and suddenly you create a, 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 a separate monster um, whereby, you know, all these, these people end up going elsewhere and the, the, the rights are bought up elsewhere. And suddenly you're even more pay to play than you were before. Um, it's yeah. I'd, it's a weird situation. And I don't, I just hope it gets resolved and the, and the people post the appropriate mere culpas that they don't mean. And we all move on. I think there is like a isn't there some kind of law or something where they've got to be able to air them? That's why that's why it went to ITV for a bit, right, and not Sky because Sky legally aren't even allowed. Like, there's just not a possibility for those highlights to be able to be moved off of terrestrial TV. No, yeah, I mean, I, I, but ITV's you know advertisement subsidised, isn't it? So it's not like that's right. a, a great. But you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Who knows if that can just be changed when the right money changes past to the right people, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, not great, though, uh, but it is quite funny. So we'll just have to see what happens next week um, or midweek. I don't know if they'll have a midweek show because it's a few games. Um, all right. What else have we got? Anything? Nothing? Um, I mean, it's mainly all lies on Wednesday, isn't it? Because it's... Uh, it has to. This has to be the one where you go. All right, we mean business now. I don't care about all the other sides around us dropping points. It's we're not playing their season. We're playing our season, and we are able to define what we do, and we are capable, very capable of beating Palace, just like we are capable of beating Leeds, just like we're capable of beating Fulham. So let's actually make this one count, and let's get the three points. And suddenly we go into that Grimsby game in a slightly different state of mind. We're confident in the situation. And then you go into that Brentford game and you're, you're, the situation just looks a whole lot rosier than what it does now when we've got more questions than maybe we had a week ago. So, yeah. And again, we, we know about these games and I guess we, we know Palace's flight at the moment and what they're doing and um, or what, more specifically what they're not doing. Um, these games are always going to be tough um, and they, they always tend to be. They tend to not fall in the remit of form in any way. Uh, so we, we just need to play our own game. We need to do what we're capable of doing. And and we're more than likely going to come out with three points. It, it's just that whole derby element again, that um, or, or rivalry, sorry, I don't want people getting mad, but it just the, the whole rivalry of it just goes completely against the form table and, and what we're capable of. So um, I hope we just stick to a game plan, are able to achieve what we know that we're capable of and and hopefully come out with three points. Two wins, two losses and five draws from our last nine games against Palace. 
so yeah, form doesn't really count for much. Uh, they're always very tightly contested. Um, it's going to be a very, very tough game on Wednesday, isn't it? So uh, I'm sure we'll be back to discuss that on Wednesday or Thursday, whatever's best for you two, really. We'll chat about it. Uh, I'll be free either. So we'll talk. Um, but we will we'll definitely want to do a pod midweek this week for the game. Um, and, you know, for those those people that are already happy about the fact we've got games in hand, I hope I can join your bandwagon come Wednesday afternoon uh, and be happy about the game in hand too because we've got three points added um, because they really don't count for much if we don't win them. So fingers crossed. Uh, this is the one that, that, you know, this is a game in hand. We capitalize on it. We get three points. We further pile on the misery for Palace. Uh, hopefully we can make it four games that they don't have a shot on target. Um, we don't have to have a goalkeeper conversation uh, and we can move on to, to the FA Cup the following weekend. Well, three days away after that uh, and batter Grimsby at home as well. We'll see. Fingers crossed. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Short week. Uh, so we will speak again soon, but stay safe out there. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.